In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto Thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended Thee and justly deserved Thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them, and I pray Thee of Thy boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him is salvation, life and resurrection from the dead. By him we are redeemed and set at liberty. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. But far be it from me to boast, 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. The royal banners forward go, the cross shows forth redemption's flow. Where he by whom our flesh was made, our ransom his flesh has paid. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in this wondrous sacrament, you have left us a remembrance of your passion. Grant that we may so mercifully receive the sacred mystery of your body and blood, that the fruits of your redemption may continually be manifest in us. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for Monday, Thursday is from Exodus chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat of the flesh that night Roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. 
and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at the 23rd verse. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant for 
ever. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Holy Gospel is written in the 13th chapter of St. John, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He is clean all over, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, you are not all clean. And when he would washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said unto them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by his prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will spare no pains and should be happy if the sacrifice of my own health, constitution, and even my life could anyhow contribute to bring this bloody war to an honorable and speedy conclusion. James P. Wolfe, 1759, in his reply to the War Office when he was been told, he was told, that he'd be sent to New France to uh, take Quebec City. It's interesting, isn't it? Leadership. The idea of leading your men into a contest or leading those who follow you and risking and taking the risk first that your, those who follow you must also face. And Wolfe was one of those kind of men. His protagonist, the Marquis de la Montcombe, the French commander in New France, was also equally a man of that kind of quality also. And both died before the, before the walls of Quebec in 1759, within moments of one another. They both faced danger and put their men first and died in front of them. They were so different, the two. They were very different. One was an aristocrat, the father of 10 children, the, the husband of aristocratic wife, since age 15, fighting wars for the French government, French king. The other one, more of a professional class person, more middle class, since age 16, going to war. Also, very different in appearance. The Marquis de Montcalm was more of a suave, suave and debonair type person, very handsome, 15 years the senior of uh, Wolf. Wolf was tall and gangly, shockingly red hair that people thought would almost, was accused of being people's headaches. It was so red. And he was gangly and awkward and yet a very good leader and no one doubted his nor Montcalm's abilities. Before Quebec's gates on the plains of Abraham there when the two faced off, the British commander had told his soldiers to double shot their muskets and wait till they're 20 yards out and then he gave the command and the French lines were shattered and they retreated and Montcalm lay dead and dying on the ground and so did Wolf. By standing in front of his men, both men prepared to die. That's exactly what Jesus Christ was doing on that first Monday Thursday as he got up from the table and laid aside his outer garments and girded himself with a towel and then began to wash his disciples' feet. He likewise was preparing to die. He was taking the position of humility, the position of danger. He was making it very clear what kind of death he was going to die. He began to wash his disciples' feet. We know this because in, in, in John 13, verse 3, Jesus, we are told, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God means that he knew that he was going to die. Because how do we get to God? How do we get there? We get there through death. Only Elijah and only 
Only Elijah and only Enoch walked with God and were not because God took them, or God sent a chariot of fire. Everyone else, all of us, including Jesus before his ascension, had to die. Had to taste death. So will we. And Jesus faces that before we must face it. Jesus acted the way he did because he knew that, that he had come from God and was going to God. This is, this is another hint that the feet washing is related to Jesus' death, that he came from God. This, because this phrase emphasizes that it was God's son who was to subject himself to the humiliation of the cross, which began with the humiliation of washing the filth his disciples' feet. That's right. Humiliation. See, because that's really what crucifixion is. Crucifixion is really more about humiliation. I mean, sure, the Romans get you dead eventually. It's really more about humiliation. The Romans were very good at killing people. In fact, their whole empire was just based on, was based on uh, murder and, and violence and slavery. That's all it was based on. They were very good at killing. The Colosseum was, that's what the Colosseum was all about. Right? The Venerable Bede said, as long as Rome stands, the Colosseum stands. And when the Colosseum falls, Rome will fall. You know, but the Colosseum really is all about killing people. And that's not the main point, though, of the crucifixion. The crucifixion is a very special way of killing somebody. It's a way to kill them, but first humiliate them before they die. Because, you see, every, every crucifix... You know, Jesus always has sort of a cloth around his mid midsection, doesn't he? I mean, over, over uh, you know, the station over there of the cross where Jesus is crucified, he's got the cloth on. And then over there in the icon of the crucifixion, he's got a cloth on. But the Bible never, never um, records him having a cloth on. Because you see, the Romans, they weren't as modest as the medieval artists or the medieval sculptors or the ancient icon writers. They weren't very modest at all. No, when you were crucified, you, you went on the cross, as one writer once wrote, as a man about to step into his bath. Where the cloth around Jesus' waist comes from, it's a legend. It's a legend. Did you know that? It's a legend. It's not even the Bible. It's a legend. It's one of the golden legends. That Mary Magdalene, the woman who Jesus had rescued from prostitution, we believe, who was a ruined woman that society had rejected. He drove from her seven demons at least, maybe more. And that he brought her out of that. And she removes her head covering, which is the thing that meant she's a decent woman. She's not a prostitute. And, and because, but she couldn't stand there at the foot of the cross and endure the humiliation of Christ any longer. And so, and so because she had to do something, she took that head covering from her hair and she wrapped it around Jesus' waist and head is shame. That's a legend. It's not in the scriptures. You don't know that it's true, but it does ring true, doesn't it? It sounds like something she would have done. No. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he's doing something most extraordinary in history. He is, as Malcolm Muggeridge once wrote, directing derision against all the pretensions of earthly power. 
Maybe that's why Peter didn't want his feet washed. That's maybe why Peter said, well, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. You have no part in me. In doing this, in many other numerous humble actions in Jesus' earthly ministry, what Jesus was doing for us is one of the things he was doing, it was stressing the fallacy of looking to the world and its rulers for help and guidance in fulfilling God's purposes. This deflation of human power, which is really what's going on with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who shall reign forever, to quote Friedrich Handel, gets on his knees and is washing the road filth, the, far, the barnyard filth from the feet of his disciples. This is something which is so extraordinary that a Napoleon Bonaparte in the peak of his power could never have understood it. This Corsican who forced an obsequious pope to place the crown of the emperor of the French upon his, upon his own head could never understand how anybody could do this. Vladimir Lenin who came from some sleazy pension in, in Geneva and then goes to the Kremlin or the, of all, the czar of all Russias, could never understand such a humiliation. And neither could an Adolf Hitler who, who stood there receiving the salutes of his minions as they goose-stepped down the Champs-Élysées. But because Jesus did this and many other actions like it, the actions of such great men that I, great men that I just told you about, their actions are written in water. All because an obscure Jew was crucified by a reluctant order of an insignificant Roman official. And so when Jesus tells Peter, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me, there's something going on here that goes beyond merely what you see on the surface. Because the phrase here in Greek is echimeros. Echimeros, you have no, you're not having a part in me. Now, sometimes this word meros can mean like being fellowship, in fellowship with me. But here it means so much more. Because echimeros is the phrase that is used to translate the Hebrew word helach. And helach means it describes the God-given heritage of Israel, that which God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them, that which the, the children of Israel go in to possess when they cross over the Jordan and receive the patrimony of the land of, the, of, of that a promise. And so to have no part of Christ is to have no share in the promised land that Christ brings. But Christ doesn't bring us a, a promised land of this world, does he? No, no, he doesn't, because he, what does he say to that insignificant Roman official, Pontius Pilate? What does he say? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting. No, it's not part of this world. It's not. You know, and in effect, really what Jesus does for the disciples and for us, the New Testament church, the, the New Testament Israel, that's really what we are, is he's, he's telling us the same thing that he said to Aaron in Numbers 18.20, when God said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. In other words, the New Testament church has in a sense become the Levites. We're a holy priesthood, a holy, holy people. And, we, and as a holy people, we have no inheritance on this, on this earth. 
Now our treasure is to be, be is to be stored in heaven, where thieves cannot break it and steal, and rust cannot destroy, or moth corrupt. Is where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. Jesus once said. That's the reason why Jesus said, "What is it?" benefit a man to gain the entire world yet lose his own soul or what will a man give for his soul no to have no part of jesus peter begins to understand means he has no part of salvation and that's why he says no no not just my my feet but my head and my hands and you know everything and jesus says no just your feet are dirty that's what jesus is telling peter and by extension all of us is that as the New Testament, Israel, we are no longer to look to earth for our inheritance or our heritage. We find it only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Which means that we receive a bit of that portion, a bit of that part of Christ, every time we are in the Scriptures. Every time we hear the Scriptures. Every, every time we're taught the Scriptures. Every time we hear it embedded in the hymnody of the church or the liturgy of the church or or as we read it, you know, in our, in our, bed, our bedsides at night, we are hearing the word and the faith that comes from that is part of our inheritance from Christ. And it is good, it's so good. This, this happens every time. Every time we confess our sins. It's like we did tonight. We confessed our sins and we received holy absolution. We know from God's word that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive this this, this, meros, this this portion of Christ when we come to Holy Communion and are born, and come to Holy Baptism and are born again of water and the Spirit. There we receive the inheritance of heaven. Right? I mean, in my own life, I, I, I don't talk about my life much, but my own life, you know, Palm Sunday is like one of my favorite Sundays. You know why it's one of my favorite Sundays? Because I was baptized on Palm Sunday. That's right, April 3rd, 1966, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I was born again of water and the Spirit. I was only a month old. And it's a great comfort to me. And finally, we received the Maros, the portion of Christ. Jesus' sin-forgiving, sin-cleansing, body and blood given to us under the veils of bread and wine and Holy Communion. Yes, these are, it is through these means that our portion that we are naturally given from Adam, sin and death is taken away, and in, in exchange we're given the portion of Christ, forgiveness and eternal life. Yes, here, here, in today's Monday, Thursday gospel, Jesus is telling us the good news that we have inheritance with him. With him. And that inheritance is the certainty that when we die, this day we will be with Christ in paradise, which is the same counsel that Jesus gave to the man next to him on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We have that same promise. So, the question that remains is obvious, isn't it? Do we want it? 
That's the question. Now, interestingly, according to the, um, the Midrash Mechalita on Exodus 21.2, what's interesting about foot washing is that, that even a Hebrew slave was not required to wash the feet of his master, but sometimes, occasionally, disciples would wash their rabbi's feet as a sign of special appreciation and devotion. But never, the, never vice versa. It was never reversed. So when Jesus says to the disciples, and by extension us, if I then your Lord and rabbi have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. That you should do as I have done. Well, how do we do that, right? How do we do that? Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury once, his name was William of Ockham, said normally the, the simplest explanation usually is the correct one. And the simplest explanation of the foot washing then remains that Jesus performed this servile task to prophesy symbolically that he was about to be to suffer a humiliating death. And so if we are to imitate Jesus, are we not also to put ourselves out to be humiliated and maybe die for the salvation of others? Well, maybe not necessarily every day, right? I mean, not every, not every day do we is Christ expecting us to mount a cross, even though we are called to, to pick up our cross and follow him. But I think what Jesus is challenging us to do is to rather humble ourselves towards each other so that we will go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have commanded you, as Jesus says, for lo, I am with you always. And that all, that lo, I am with you always, that you is meant to be all people. Not just the people of this parish or the people of this community or the people of the state. It's the all people. Jesus died for all people. He wants all people to, to know the certainty of everlasting life. But this is how we wash one another's feet. By bringing by bringing people their heritage that, that cleanses them from their sins. And yet this can never happen, can it, if we're not humble? You know, since I've been ordained, I've seen many parishes at odds with each other, many Christians that hate each other. Parishes torn apart. I was talking to a pastor the other day. He was telling me how, he knew, he knew this church that was just growing and doing really well, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody started something, and all of a sudden, it just destroyed the parish. You know why it destroyed the parish? Because they didn't love one another. And a new law I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Love one another. Because you see, love, it suffers long. It does not envy. 
It's kind. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It, it doesn't think evil. It does not rejoice in sin. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. It never fails. And we see this in Jesus. We see this literally happening as he is on his knees washing feet. We're seeing that. We're seeing Jesus begin to teach us what it means when Jesus says, greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friends. It begins with Jesus on his knees washing their feet. It continues to the cross and the crucifixion on Good Friday, and then it culminates in the resurrection. And in these things, we see what a friend we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
did a um, few prayer requests this evening. Remember um, Diana Newton in your prayer? She's a friend of Bonnie Smith's, and she's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Also, um, Kim Stillman had a surgery yesterday, and uh, pray for her as she recovers. Uh, Sam Gibbons uh, is still recovering from complications from the COVID-19, um, and uh, pray, continue to pray for him. And then my uncle, Godfrey Parsons, has come off the ventilator, uh, but he's still on dialysis in Texas, so I'd ask you to pray for him as well. Thank you. The Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation and all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and legislature, our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ's holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray especially this day for, for Diana, Kim, Sam, and Godfrey. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, look down from heaven. Behold, visit, relieve thy servants. Diana, Kim, Sam, and Godfrey, for whom we offer up our supplications. Look upon them with the eyes of thy mercy and give them comfort and sure confidence in thee. Defend them from the dangers of the enemy and keep them in perpetual safety and peace. Through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly meet right and salutary that we should all times and all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, everlasting God, who on the tree of the cross didst give salvation unto mankind, that whence death arose, thence life might also rise again, and that he who by tree once overcame might likewise by a tree be overcome through Christ our Lord, through whom it with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, Amen. 